0: Good morning and happy Father's Day. It is, it is really good to be here, and I'm so glad to see you all here. And I also just want to extend a special um, warm welcome to my dad, who's here today with us and joining us here in the back, um, and also for everybody online who's tuning in. For anybody who, who might not know me, my name is David Drover, and I'm an intern here at Milo and Mission, and it is my privilege to be able to preach here, especially this passage on this day, because it is a special day. It's Father's Day, and it's a day of the year that we take to, to celebrate, to honor our fathers and all that they do for us. Speaking generally, dads, they're, they're protectors of the family. They're known to, to lead their families. They're, they're called upon to fix all the stuff in their house or whatever needs fixing. They, they give direction. They, they pass along wisdom. And they work hard to provide for the families. And of course, no, no father's perfect. No family is perfect, but these are the kinds of characteristics of fathers that we tend to celebrate on days like today. And well, another way that we could kind of sum this up and, and say this is that fathers love their families. But what does that word love really mean? What is love? And don't worry, if, if any of you can remember from last year, I'm not going to read out the lyrics of the song again. That's already out in the internet somewhere, and it can just stay out there. Um, but, But this is a term that we hear and we use all the time. There are songs written about it. There are movies written about it. We see it and hear it all of the time. And even though we see it so often, we don't seem to really use it very consistently. I mean, I can say things like, I love coffee and I love Leanne in the same sentence, but I really don't love coffee in the same way that I love Leanne. I love Leanne far more. And I think this inconsistency, it's just one of the many reasons that as a culture, as a people, we generally are confused about what love actually is. And I can even remember a couple years ago, sitting in a room with a few other university students, We, I can't remember who it was, but somebody said, what is love? Like, Can somebody define love? And they were just genuinely curious. And, and we went around the room, we, we gave our answers, but we all kind of struggled to come up with some nice definition of this massive concept of love. But thankfully we don't have to define love. Thankfully, we don't have to figure it out all by ourselves. The Bible actually talks a lot about love. In our passage today, as you heard Jeff read it out, it talks all about love. And I think it's probably one of the greatest chapters about love in the entire Bible. Even if you haven't been around church all that much, you've probably heard things like, God is love. Perfect love casts out fear, or we love because he first loved us. But Unfortunately, so many people seem to take these statements like God is love, but then they insert their own ideas about what love is and take it out of context. And well, if God is love, then, then they end up describing who God must be and how he must act. But as we'll see in a few moments, that's actually backwards. God is the one who gets to tell us and show us what love really is. And this is all really, really important because if we're going to love each other, Fathers, if you're going to love your family's church, if we're going to love one another, then we need to first know what love is. We need to know love ourselves. So let me ask you, what do you do when you struggle to love somebody? Do you hide? Do you grieve? Do Do you groan? Perhaps maybe make excuses? Fathers, what do you do when you just come home from this crazy, busy work week or day and you are just exhausted? You're tired, you're, you're out of energy, you need peace and rest, and yet when you get home, your family needs you. Church family, what do you do when, when one of your brothers and sisters just constantly seems to butt heads with you or has ideas that aren't always in favor, like yours, that they disagree with you? I probably don't need to convince most of us that in these moments we need, we should love one another. But the truth is, is that family, church, relationships, loving, it's hard. It's difficult. It's not easy. And we all struggle to love others as we should. We're not perfect. And again, this is why understanding this passage in 1 John 4, 7 to 21 is so Important because when we're at our lowest of lows or our highest of highs or anywhere in between, our ability to love, well, it doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from inside of us. It comes from knowing God, and it comes from knowing His love. So if you want to know how you should love today, how you can love today, fathers, if you want to know how to love your families, families, if you want to know how to love your fathers, and church, if you want to know how to love one another. Dive into this text with me. Jeff, I already read it out, but I want you to keep it open. I want you to keep looking back at it, to keep reading it, because I'm going to continually point you there. And it's a big text, as we've seen. But even though it's a big text, the main point is really not that complicated today, okay? This main point that we're going to see throughout the entire passage is this, that we love because of his love. Okay, so the main point, the sermon is sentence, you're writing it down, is we love because of his love, and we're simply, all we're going to do is we're going to take that point and break it up, okay? We're going to have God's love for us is point one, and then our right response is love. So we love because of his love, and we're going to just break that up, and we're going to see God's love for us followed by our right response is love. So all throughout this passage, we see that main idea. It's kind of like John, if he, if he had a diamond and was holding it up for us and turned just slowly rotating it so we could see all the different facets of it. And well, the first place that we see this truth is right at the beginning in verses 7 and 8. Here we see that love comes from God. Okay, love comes from God. It doesn't come from the world. It doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from our feelings. It comes from God. And if, well, if all love comes from God, that includes our love for one another. So John, he encourages the church to love each other because that's evidence that they really know God. And it's evidence that we really know God because God is love. If you know God, then then, well, you also know love? There's no separation of the two. And that means that if you're searching and you want to know a real and a true love, then that means that you have to look to God because he is love, because all love comes from him. But here's the thing. I'm afraid far too often, that we try and find love somewhere else in the world, that we try and, and, and find this love that's just going to make everything right. A love that will just make everything okay, that will satisfy all of our needs, satisfy our hearts, a love that, that will be able to get us through the, the ups and downs of this life that we live. But we seek this perfect love in all of the wrong places. We, we seek it in our, our relationships or our jobs or in entertainment and social media or, or through our stuff. But any search for love in anything but God, it's going to fail because no love outside of God's is perfect. Searching for a perfect love outside of God would kind of be like if you were to go and buy this or want this beautiful diamond engagement ring, but you went to a cheap jewelry store that only sold plastic rings. Even if I found a ring that, that looked really pretty, it looked real, it's just plastic. And over time, as that real and new look, as it starts to fade, I'm gonna realize that that's not what I wanted, and that's not what I need. God is love, and therefore it doesn't make sense for us to search for love apart from God. Only in Him will we find a true and a perfect love. And, and to be clear, the statement here that God is love, it means that God is 100% love. He's not only love, but he is 100% love. The Bible teaches us that God's also holy, that he's also just. But it's not like God is 60% love, and then he's 40% holy. He's 100% love, he's 100% holy, and he's 100% of all of his other attributes. And that means that everything that he does is loving, and everything he does is just. I love how John Stott puts this. He says, there are three other statements in the New Testament concerning what God is in substance and nature. He is spirit, John four twenty four. He is light, in 1 John 1, 5. And a consuming fire, in Hebrews 12, 29. It's important that we take all of these biblical assertions about God and put them together. It is true that the words, God is love, mean not that loving is only one of God's many activities, but rather that all of his activity is loving activity. And that therefore, if he judges, he judges in love. Yet if his judgment is in love, his loving is also justice. He who is love is light and fire as well, far from condoning sin. His love has found a way to expose it because he is light and to consume it because he is fire without destroying the sinner, but rather saving him. God is love, and God is light or holy. We can't separate the two. In fact, we can only really understand one when we understand the other. We can only understand God's love when we understand his justice. And we see this in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 34, when God, he passes by Moses, and he says, you've probably, you might have heard these verses before, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in In steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So I want you to notice something here, okay? Notice how it says that God is abounding in steadfast love that he's going to forgive iniquity, that he's going to forgive transgression, forgive sin. But then he also says he's by no means going to clear the guilty or let the guilty go unpunished. Is that a contradiction? No, there's there's no contradiction because God is fully loving and also fully holy. and, And where we can see God's love and justice come together is the cross of Jesus Christ. Okay? That God is love. And what this love is, as, as John Piper says, God's love is His doing whatever needs to be done at whatever cost so that we will see and be satisfied with the glory of God in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to say that one more time. The love of God is this. God's love is his doing whatever needs to be done at whatever cost so that we will see and be satisfied with the glory of God in Christ Jesus. And if that's what God's love is, then here is how God's love is revealed. Just look at verses 9 and 10. Here is how the author, the giver of love, expresses, declares, and reveals his love to us. God's love was made manifest, or in other words, it, it has been displayed by God sending his Son into the world, the world that, that is in darkness, the world that lies in the power of the evil one, God sends his son into the world of darkness so that we could live through him. We didn't love God, but he loved us, and Jesus came to be the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so are you searching for love today? Fathers, are you searching for love? Do you need to be reminded of that today? Then read these verses look down reread them again and again here in these verses is the love of God portrayed for you and it is the most perfect it is the most beautiful it is the most complete love that there is here John he's proclaiming the gospel we haven't loved God we've loved ourselves we've loved the things of the world or in other words we're we're sinners and we've rebelled against an almighty and holy God and That means that all of us deserve to be counted as guilty. As Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead in our sins. We were children of wrath. We fully deserve the wrath of God. That's the bad news. But, But God loved us. Don't just skip over that. But God loved us. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. God's love for you and for me, it's not based on us. It's not based on our actions. It's not based on our love. And you want to know what that means? That means that there's nothing that you can do that's going to make God love you anymore. That means that there's nothing that you can do that means God's going to love you any less. Charles Spurgeon, he once said, he loved us when we could not have been worse or further from him than we were. What love is this that shone on us when we were the serfs and slaves of Satan, the dishwashers in the kitchen of iniquity? What love is this? This love is the love of God. He loved us and sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus, he He came and gave his life for us. And that word propitiation, it just means to satisfy the wrath of God. It's the word, don't be scared of it. It just means to satisfy the wrath of God. So what John is referring to here is Jesus' death on the cross and what he accomplished through it. God's love, it was revealed through Jesus so that we might have life and we can live because of what he accomplished on the cross. So do you want to know how God is love? and then God is holy, makes sense together? You want to know how we can be forgiven our sin, and yet God will not clear the guilty? Here is the answer, okay? The cross of Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't. He gave up his life and satisfied God's wrath that we deserve for our sin by taking our sin upon himself and by paying the punishment that we deserve Death. Through the love of God, our sin, it was dealt with. Through the love of God, our sin, it was paid for. It was punished. It wasn't merely swept under the rug or forgotten. And, guys, that is all of our sin. That's every sinful thought, every sinful action, past, present, and future. And through that same love of God, by trusting in Him, we are forgiven. We are made right with God. We are no longer guilty. We are saved. From our sin. Jesus, he's the savior of the world. That's what we see in verse 14. If you look there, the Father, he sent the Son. The Son, He reveals the love of the Father and and is the Savior of the world through his perfect life and death. And the Spirit has been given us to point us to the truth, to point us back to Christ. As John states in verse 15: whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he And God, if you believe in Jesus, if you trust in his love, then you have a relationship with God, and that is just the truth. But then there are still some who would say that all of this is not loving. They would say, they would look at the cross, they would say the idea of God's wrath, that that's not loving, that this is just some picture of an angry father Who is just mad, and he takes it all out on his poor, weak, innocent son. And, And some have gone so far to say that this is actually cosmic child abuse. But of course, that's wrong. And here's why that's wrong. That's wrong because Jesus, he didn't die unwillingly. In fact, if you go and actually read Jesus' words that he spoke himself in John 10, 18, he says that he gives his life up, that nobody takes it from him that he gives it up on his own accord. The cross, it was God's plan. It is God's plan, meaning it's the Father's, it's the Son's, it's the Spirit's plan to save his people whom he loves. It's where perfect love and perfect justice collide. It's where God has shown us his love so that we might live. See, this is love because God has dealt with our greatest need. He defeats our sin. This is love Because God gives us our greatest good by giving us himself. This is love because he does it out of his own affections. We didn't love God. We didn't earn his favor. He chose to love us, even though we rebelled. This is love because he accomplished it in himself at his own cost. The father, he gave up his son his only son, Jesus, he came, he humbled himself, he became one of us, he gave up his life for us. And well, even though we all fall short, don't we see this kind of love in our earthly fathers? That's how often have you loved your kids by helping them with what they need? How many times have you loved your children by doing what's best for them? How many times have you loved on them when they don't seem to want you to, when they resist, or even when they don't love you back? How many times have you loved your kids at your own cost, by sacrificing your time, your rest, your energy? And while for all of us who have been so graciously loved by our, our fathers, we tend to treat them as a hero, We look up to them, and our dads might be one of our heroes, but they are not our ultimate hero because only God can deal with our greatest need. Only God can rescue us from death and bring us to life. Only God has given us our greatest good by giving us himself. Only God gets it right every time. Only God can love us perfectly. Only God's love can satisfy that longing and searching in our own hearts God is our ultimate hero. So dads, let that be freeing to you. You're not the savior of your family. And therefore, you don't have to pretend to be one. If you want to love your wife and your children, then point them to their savior. Point them to Jesus. Point them to the one who is going to love them more than you ever can. And wives and children, if you want to love your husbands and fathers, then do the same point them to Jesus, pray for them, remind them of the gospel, and again, point them to the one who loves them more than that you can. And church, as a church family, let's love one another like this too. Let's point each other to the cross and to Christ. When we're comforting one another, let's point to the hope that we have in Christ. When we disagree, point each other to the truth and open up your Bibles. When we're celebrating with one another, let's give God the glory. When we correct one another, point to the forgiveness and love of the cross of Christ. If we're really going to love one another in a real way, then we constantly need to go to the cross. We always need to go back to Christ. Jobs Karen Jobs puts this so well as she writes, If genuine love for others is based in God's redeeming love, then in addition to caring for the needs of the community, no word or deed is loving that puts an obstacle in the way of others knowing the true value of the cross of Jesus. Let us love because of his love. This is what John says in verse 11. If if we have been loved in this way, then let us love one another. Let that motivate us to love one another. And then in verse 12, he says that if we love one another, God abides this in us, and his love is perfected in us. And notice that phrase, okay? I want you to notice that phrase, love is perfected. His love is perfected in us. Or in other translations, it's translated as love is made complete. And the idea here, it's not that God's love is not perfect. It, it is perfect. But the idea here is that God's love has a purpose. And according to verse 12, that purpose, it's, it's made complete or it's accomplished when we love one another. So what that tells us about God's love is is that God's love is not only everything that we've already seen, but that God's love also has the purpose to change us and transform us to love. God's love, it transforms us to love. So our right response then to God's love is for us to love. In verse 16, John, he writes again that God is love. He continues, he makes that point that that we can't separate God and love. If you know God, well, then you also know love. If you abide in love, well, then you also abide in God. And abiding in love here, it looks like remaining in the gospel. It looks like preaching it to yourself daily. It looks like dwelling on it, meditating on it. It looks like believing and trusting and following in Jesus every single day. And because God's love changes us, Because God's love works in our lives to make us more loving, then abiding in love, it also looks like loving others. Just notice in verse 17, okay? I know, I'm getting you to look down at the text a lot, but it's good, it's good. So, verse 17, it starts by this, right? By this, so by abiding in God and abiding in love, our love is made complete. So, I want you to see the relationship here, okay? See the relationship By knowing, by being reminded of, and living in God's love for us, our love is made complete. So I'll say it again because it's really important. By living in God's love for us, our love is then made complete. I asked you at the beginning of the sermon, what do you do when you struggle to love? What do you do when you struggle to love somebody? Do you want to know what the answer is? The answer is right here. It's turn to Jesus and trust in His love for you. Okay, turn to Jesus. And when you do that, notice that Jesus knows what it's like to love people. Jesus, He, he never struggled to love us, He was perfect. But He was also human. He knew what it meant to be exhausted, to be hurt to be misunderstood, to be taken advantage of, to be betrayed and and hated. He knew what it was like to, to love people who just constantly seemed to miss the point. He knew what it was like to love those who hated him. He loved those who resisted him. He loved those who would fail him. He loved those who hurt him. And he loved those who would kill him. And church, that's us. That is how Jesus loves you and how he loves me. That is us. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. So when we struggle to love, let's look to Jesus as our example of love. Calvary, know that you have been, that you are, and that you will be loved for the rest of of eternity, the steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. And then let that love, let that lead you to love others. And if you're desperately searching for that strength to love, that energy to love, that, that ability to love, then don't look inside yourselves. Contrary to a lot of Disney movies which I love, the answer is not searching deep within you and finding the strength of yourself. You need to turn and trust in Jesus. Fathers, don't go through life trusting in yourself. Trust in Christ. And when we do our love, it won't be out of duty. It'll be out of an overflow. If, If loving others was like going to collect water, trying to love based on our strength and our abilities would be like going to get water from a dried up well. But to rest in the love of Christ and let that empower us to love, that would be like going to the ocean, the vastness of the ocean to draw our water. Jesus' love, it's what we need. He is the source and the example of love, so let's follow him. And don't miss here too in, in verse 17 that John then uses this phrase one more time, okay, that our love is perfected. Our love outflowing from Christ's love, it has its purposes too, and here we see that it has the purpose of giving us assurance. Our love is made complete as it gives us assurance and fearlessness before God. Here's the idea that John's getting at. Okay? Here's the idea. So again, by living in God's love for us, our love is the made complete or our love grows with the purpose that we have assurance. Okay, so by living in God's love for us, our love grows and then that gives us assurance. And it gives us assurance because when we begin to love like Jesus, that's evidence that his love is actually working in us. That's evidence that it's doing something In our lives. Again, Jobs puts it like this. She says, It is not everyone who loves in whatever way pleases him or her who has been born of God, but everyone who loves as defined by God. When we love like Jesus, that is evidence that we are children of God. And as his children, we don't have a negative fear toward God. We don't have a negative fear toward him because the kind of fear that John is talking about here in verse. 18 is a fear that has to do with punishment. And this kind of fear, well, it it would make sense if you think about, A, our sinfulness, and B, the fact that God is holy, but only then if you neglect the fact that God is also love. Because the truth is, we do deserve punishment for our sin. Job's again, she comments on this fear and says that John points out that fear implicitly entails a fear of punishment or suffering related to the object of fear. So a fear of water implies a fear of drowning. A fear of fire would imply a fear of being burned. A fear of God's judgment, well, implies a fear of punishment. But as Christians, as those who believe in Jesus, as those who know his love for us, we don't have the fear of God's judgment now or on the final day. Instead, we can have confidence, and we can have confidence before God because of love. There is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out fear. If we believe the love that God has for us, if we believe in Jesus and in his gospel, then we won't be afraid of being punished by God for our sins, because that is exactly what God's love accomplished for us. And that means that we can and that we must run to God with our sin. That we need to go to him and confess our sin. As Dane Ortland says, with Christ, our sins and our weaknesses are the very resume items that qualify us to approach him. Nothing but coming to him is required first at conversion and a thousand times thereafter until we were with him upon death. And fathers, again, model this for your kids. Model for them that you need grace just as much as they do. Don't be afraid of your failures, but model for your family what it looks like to come before a loving Savior. See, because when we, we understand God's love for us, okay, when we understand that there's not a single sin that Jesus didn't already pay for, when we trust that there is no sin that will ever make God stop loving us, when we know that God will not punish us but has saved us, then, then we will not fear. And instead, instead, we have the assurance of a relationship with God as our Father, who is ready with open arms to embrace us. Instead of cowering in fear, we run to the tender embrace of our loving, of our almighty heavenly Father. Our right response to God's love for us is that we love. When we are changed, when we are transformed to love through trusting in him, that should point us to the same conclusion. That we are loved by God and have no need to fear his punishment. We love because he first loved us. We love God, we we worship him, we treasure him. And then we love each other by pointing each other back to Jesus and his love for us. And Calvary, we, can't, we cannot separate our love for God and our love for his church. We can't separate our love for God and our love for one another. This is what John says in verse 20. Whoever claims that they love God, but then doesn't love his people, that person doesn't actually love God. If they can't love the people who, who are right in front of them, they can see then how can they claim to really love God who they cannot see and if they really loved God well then then they would follow Jesus commandment to love and that's, that's verse 21 our right response is love for both for God and his people we love because of his love and so Calvary as we close what I need what you need what we all need is to be reminded of God's love for us so this week go and reread this passage okay go this week and read your bibles know that you are loved and then go and love others because as john tells us as christians we need to love one another fathers you need to love your families and again the best way that you can do that is to know god's love and then point others to him and especially for when that gets hard, okay, especially for the inevitable struggles you're going to have to love this week. When you struggle, rehearse the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself of how God has dealt with your greatest need. Remind yourself of how God has dealt with your greatest need and how he has given you everything that you need in himself. Remind yourself that he loves you, not because of anything that you do, but just out of his own heart. God is love for anybody who might be searching, even online, for a a real, purposeful, unfailing love. There's only one place that you're going to find that, and that is in Jesus Christ. The world, Satan, it's going to offer you so many options. But the reality is, whatever option they offer, it's always going to fall short. What we all need is to believe in the gospel and to trust in Jesus. And as John says in verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We really do have a wonderful Savior who loves us, who transforms us, and who gives us the assurance that in him we have everything that we ever need. So families, love your fathers, by pointing them to Jesus. Fathers, love your families by pointing them to Jesus. And church, let's love one another by pointing each other back to Christ. Let's pray. Father God, it is so good to just be able to be here and preach this morning, Lord, and I pray, as Jeff prayed, for all the fathers who are here, Lord, that they would know how much that you love them. And and for us, Lord, and for everybody else, that we would all know how much you love us. Lord, how you have loved us, Lord, how great the gospel is. So, Lord, as we go on with our celebrations today, Lord, help us to also realize what we have in you, that we have everything we need in our Heavenly Father who loves us. So, Lord, I just ask that you be with us now as we go on with our day